For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. All right, welcome to another episode of Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan. Today, I'm burning the phone lines down to talk to Will Johnson. Will, how you doing, man? I'm really good. I'm really good, thank you. And so, man, just to start this thing off, just a little bit about where you're from and just how you got into music and what it was like growing up in that area. Oh, goodness. I'm from a little town called Kennett, Missouri, down in the southeastern corner north of Memphis about an hour and a half or so and I grew up in a family of music lovers I had a couple of older stepbrothers when I was you know five six seven years old that were always spinning records in the living room and kind of teaching me about how to use the record player but also telling me all about you know Kiss and Leonard Skinner and Pink Floyd and stuff like that and that was all real fascinating stuff to me mm-hmm. but then I'd go over to my grandparents house and they were listening to Porter Wagner or Johnny Cash, and then mom was listening to, you know, Al Green or something like that. So I managed to have all these different kinds of music coming from pretty close sources. Yeah, it's pretty broad, and, uh, too. My mom, my mom bought me a drum set when I was probably nine years old, I guess, and that just became my obsession. I just wanted to learn learn records from beginning to end, so I just put them on and put the headphones on and play along and figure out music that way just by ear. I wasn't necessarily technically trained i took some piano lessons but otherwise everything else was pretty well just self-taught and a product of being you know bored in a small town yeah um and so anyway we moved to texas when i was 11 or 12 and at that point i kind of continued on with drums and got into the marching band in high school and started just kicking around playing in rock bands in high school and we were about an hour north of austin which, of course, you know, is a big music town, and uh, you find all-ages shows and good record stores here, so that was it, you know. That was, those were my adolescent years, and I'd come down here and see shows whenever I could, and I wound up going up to Denton, Texas, and just forming bands and kicking around in bands for many years around North Texas, and then finally moved down here to Austin in 2002. Uh, so I bounced around a little bit, but the music thing uh, has, has always been at the forefront of my life. As far as memory serves me. Gotcha. Let's talk about your bands and uh, music projects over the years. Was Centromatic the first one that you had that really took off? Uh, there was a band called Funland that preceded Centromatic that existed from 1991 until 1996. And we toured around a lot. We did a lot of U.S. touring, and we actually signed a record deal with Arrester Records, I want to say, in 93. Uh, I played drums for Funland. I wasn't singing or playing guitar or anything in it, but it was my first kind of introduction to being in a, a real band that loaded up the van and went out and got after it for a while. Yeah. And it was my first real introduction to touring. Uh, and then once that started to kind of fade out, I started Centromatic, which began as a recording project. I didn't really have any members of the band or anything. I just made recordings around the house and sold cassettes for $5 a piece around town. And then I started playing shows solo under the name Centromatic for about a year. 
And then finally in 1997, uh, we rounded up a lineup and became a, a full-fledged band. And we kept that same lineup from 1997 until 2014 when we broke up. And we managed to put out I don't know, not including South San Gabriel stuff. I guess we put out 11 or 12 albums. Wow. When did you make the transition over to start playing guitar and other instruments? Oh, goodness. Uh, I want to say I started playing guitar. Drums was first, for sure, and piano. But then I started messing around with guitar when I was maybe 16 or 17. Just as a result of my bedroom in, in high school, my, my room at the time was also our band's rehearsal space. So everybody would just leave their instruments there, you know, yeah. and come back a few days later for the next rehearsal, unless, of course, we had a show. And so with all those instruments just kind of lying around, of course, you know, you start picking them up and start fiddling around with them. And I think I had like a Roy Clark Big Note songbook or something like that, and, or a Mel Bay book, and started teaching myself chords, and then eventually started teaching myself how to play again, like the drum thing. I would just teach myself how to play records from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And I would realize, like, all my favorite bands at the time played folk chords. It's just that they played them with distortion pedals, you know? And, yeah. And so it sounded a little different to me. It didn't sound like cowboy chords necessarily. But when I would learn, say, when I would try to learn a Husker Du record or an old soul asylum record, I'd realize, like, man, these are just G and C and D and A chords that just distorted and... I'd realized that they were folk songs, essentially, yeah. just performed in a different kind of way. And that opened up a whole new window to learning the guitar and just learning another instrument other than drums. And so I did that for a long time. And then finally, I want to say, when I was about 24 years old, I finally started writing my own songs. I got you. And, man, I, I, I've called a quite a few of the house shows at the Sunstroke House, and I, I'd never seen anyone just sit down in the chair and was just, you look so relaxed. Like, usually, you know, you're hunched up over the guitar, and but you were just laid back in the chair, and it was it was so natural. I think those shows are, uh, I'm more comfortable playing them now. I've probably played about 400 of them by this point. But um, those shows are comforting to me because they do, they peel things back in a real cool way, a way that's appealing to me. And it's a little bit, you know, it looks like it could be nerve-wracking, or it seems like it could be uh, really something, you know, uncomfortable for the performer. But in truth, I think just to sit in a room and be able to play some music for an hour, or as a showgoer, to be able to go sit in a room and just listen to music for an hour, Mm -hmm. it's becoming more of a rare thing, I think, without giant production and lights and you know separation mm-hmm. and so in a way i think it peels things back to the way that music was originally experienced when at least as far as i could guess you know people probably just traveled from village to village or cave to cave and figured out how to entertain each other you know yeah there's a there's something fairly primal about it but also with that comes a certain a certain comfort and I like that. I like that aspect of it a lot. Yeah. House shows, uh, I had just started going this year, like January was uh, the first time I'd ever been to a house show. And I had, you know, music festivals and amphitheaters and the bar rooms. Yeah. But I mean, there's, there, like you're saying, there, there's something just real special about that house show. It's the, the intimacy and 
it just seems like you can just connect with everybody. I think so. I, I think it, I've said this a lot, but I do think, I mean, after nine, nine years of doing these kinds of tours, I've found that that kind of atmosphere tends to encourage conversation and it encourages friendships. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and sometimes that's not always the case when we go down to the old rock club, you know, and I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I go to see a show at a venue and I'm, I kind of post up by the soundboard or against the wall and watch the show and then I split. But with these kinds of shows, I think it encourages a sense of community. And I'm finding over the years that a lot of people have become friends or pen pals. And some people have even, you know, become couples and gotten married and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, as a result of this kind of strange but wonderful culture. As a matter of fact, just before I got to y'all, in Columbus, I played in Atlanta, and a couple came up, and they wanted me to sign a record. But they expressed to me that they met at one of they met at the first house show I ever played in Atlanta, and have, have since been married. I think like three or four years or something like that. And wow. I don't know. It's not to say it doesn't happen at the venue shows too, but it's just I don't know. It's just, there's a sense of community about it that I think is really uh, that's hard to ignore. Yeah, man. I'm. I'm lucky just to be in Columbus because from what I hear, man, there's there's just something special about the Sunstroke House. Without a doubt, man. That's one of my favorite ones that I've ever played. And and over all these years, I've definitely had a lot of repeat visits to places. Mm-hmm. But to get to, to get to come to a town, you know, anytime you get to experience a new town, it's exciting just to see what it's all about. But also, on top of that, to have a venue that is so cared for and nurtured and well put together and well run like Sunstroke House, that's just, that just makes it all the better. That just kind of sends it over the top. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Since Citromatic and just stepping off, I guess, just to doing just Will Johnson by himself, even though I guess that's kind of how you said Citromatic started. What yeah. was What was that transition? There was projects in between there, right? Yeah, there, there have been a number of projects in between there. Like with with Centromatic, I want to say in in uh, about 2000, we formed a side project called South St. Gabriel. And that developed as a result of kind of, I, w- I always joke that we had set list arguments. And that's not to say that we really had arguments, but we just had different ways that we wanted to perform the show mm-hmm. from time to time. And there, there'd be times where you know, maybe Matt wanted to do more of a rock show and I wanted to do way more of an ambient uh, sort of mellow show. And we figured instead of arguing about it, we should just form a different project that fulfills that more atmospheric kind of music and also offers us a chance to invite other musicians into the fold to be a part of it. So with that, South St. Gabriel started to fulfill that role so we put out four or five records under that moniker and toured separately under that moniker uh in europe most most of the time but uh that became a whole separate band for us and and we still do shows to this day actually that band never really broke up so whenever we can we'll try to get back together and do a run of dates but there have been other things too there's been a record that i made with uh, a wonderful songwriter named jason molina He's no longer with us, but we had kind of a mutual admiration for one another, you know, 12 years ago and decided to make a record together. And then, of course, Marie Lepanto with my friend Pete, 
and Monsters of Folk and a thing called New Multitudes, which was a Woody Guthrie archives project with Jay Farrar and Anders Parker and Jim James. Yeah. Uh, and then a few other things as well. A band called Overseas with David Bazan from Peter the Lion. So I don't know. It's just one of those things where I've got a lot of really amazingly talented friends that I love to hang with and and they're always down for the collaboration or for getting together and making a noise. Yeah. And so if time allows, we try to do that. How'd you meet Jim James? Oh, goodness. Our bands played together on, I think, the first My Morning Jacket tour that they ever did of the States back in, it was one of the first ones. It may not have been the first, but it was the first time they'd ever come to Texas. And South St. Gabriel opened a show or two for them in October of 2001. And we were just fast friends. We stayed in touch ever since and then made it a point to play shows together again, you know, as time went on. And then they invited, the Jacket invited us over to Europe to open their whole 2003 tour. And we've just been close friends ever since then, really. Man, first time I heard Wordless Chorus, I was hooked. Jim, yeah, yeah, Jim yeah, James, he's song. something else. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that's one of, you know that's one of my favorite bands and in human history. And it's 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 I'm taken aback by it every once in a while because sometimes we just get so involved in talking about friend stuff or talking about life stuff that I neglect to express how much I've truly loved that band for almost a quarter of a century now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at, but at the same time, you know, life just goes like that, and so. He was kind enough to ask me along to do the Monsters of Old stuff, and then he asked me along to do the Woody Guthrie project. So, I don't know. It just seems like whenever we get a chance to work on some something together, we try to make time for it. I got you. And so, after you left Columbus, you had Water Valley, and that was the, the close for the house show tour here, right? That's right. And yeah, Water Valley was the, was the final stop on that particular tour. And then you have a new tour coming up, right? I have an, another one coming up in September, but nothing really, uh, nothing significant at all until September on the touring front. I'm, I'm working on a, a lot of paintings right now, just filling commission orders, and I'm slowly building an art sh- show for the fall. And I just turned in the first draft of a, of a book, it's a book of fiction. And so I'm chipping away at the second draft these days, and then I'm working on a record. My friend Alec, who has a real good band called Clap Your Hands Say Yeah he's coming here to Texas I know them there's a number of projects but no touring really until September I got you so all the paintings that you had there uh, for sale that night like the Evil Knievel you you drew all those yeah that's right I do I do I make paintings for folks sometimes whenever I'm between tours because I I was going to ask you the one with the uh, the whole ball field with all the uh, (laughs) yeah I was going. I was going to see if I could get you to mail me one of them. I really liked it. I just didn't have enough cash that night to pick it up. That's all right. Yeah, of course. I, I think I have a few extras around here. That one is from Disco Demolition Night, which happened in 1979, and it, it was basically, to put it short, it's a, it was a promotional idea that went very, very wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, all the I, I liked all the art there that you had, and then uh, I saw Monk. Uh, I saw the picture of the Evil Knievel, and I was like, man, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, that that was a commission piece for a guy in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, sometimes I get commissions that don't have anything to do with baseball, and I always 
you know, profess, I'll, I'll give it a try, and if it works, that's great, but if it doesn't, you know, we just got to turn and walk, but the Evil Knievel one wound up being pretty popular amongst amongst folks that go to the shows. Yeah, and so you, you're also been writing a book, so how did that come about? Um, I was approached by a small publishing house about three or four years ago just to put together put together a book of any of anything I wanted basically and and uh, with that the lines were a little loose for my taste I really wanted them to draw some lines in the sand and say hey we want fiction or we want road stories or we want memoirs but they were really open about it and just said you know write whatever you want it can be a hybrid book if you want and so after a couple of false starts I finally kind of got going on it about a year I don't know about 10 months ago I want to say yeah. and it started to form into something that was appealing to me and that was compelling and, and the character development was such that I looked forward to coming back to these characters every every week, you know, and kind of working them over and putting them in different situations. And so, in a sense, it all started to come together, I guess, last summer, finally, after, you know, some false starts. I'm kind of rounding the, rounding the turn on it now and it's, it's been an unusual experience because I'm kind of wired to the experience of making a record, which is typically, you know, a couple of weeks at most, and then you have something, right? But yeah. with a book, it takes, you know, it can take years with a book, and I'm just not, it takes me a while to get used to shifting gears to that speed of production and to understand that it's okay that it takes time because I'm just conditioned uh, for it to take about two weeks, and then you're done, you know? Right, yeah. You just get in the studio and uh, cut everything out, and you got a record. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so the book, I can't say, I mean, the book has been a satisfying experience more in recent months than it was at the beginning. It was incredibly stressful at first, to the point where I, I tried to give the advance money back twice, but they wouldn't take it. They said, stick with it, just keep writing. So I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think finally now I have something to show them, you know, that, that it hopefully is at least of some some merit. We'll see. I got you, man. That's awesome. It's, you got like a lot of artistic projects with your music, art, and writing. I didn't know you had all that going. Yeah, it's going to be busy, you know. I always joke. I'm, I'm an only child, so, you know, I needed something to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, as you were coming up, you were drawing, and I guess a lot of times with writing songs, uh, with some of the songs I've written, it's yeah, for sure. it comes from I, journals. I came up, I don't know, I made a lot of art as a kid. I didn't really start taking the painting thing very seriously until maybe 10 years ago. Uh, and then, as far as the writing goes, I've, I've always kept memoirs and diaries and things like that over the last, good grief, 30 years at least. And so, it's it felt natural to kind of fall into that and at least give it a try. Yeah. And so, uh, I don't know. I'll, it's it's all a work of fiction. I didn't know that it would be. I kind of thought it'd be a combination of a bunch of stuff. But once I really got into this thing, I thought, you know, this is rolling along like it could become a full-fledged book with these characters. And I, I really enjoy hanging out with them. So I figured I should just go with that. And so you you got the second draft. Any idea when that'll be out? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest with you, yeah. I have no idea when it'll be out. My hope is that it'll be out next year. I hope it'll be out in 2020, but uh, I can't say for sure. Okay, I got you. 
<laughs> and just we were just talking a little bit earlier before we started recording the last show of the Sunstroke House season. Uh, we had Brad Armstrong and Taylor Hollinsworth shut it down for yeah. us. How did you meet those guys? Well, I'm, I'm only Instagram friends with Brad, but and I only know of Taylor. I guess I met Taylor one time years ago, uh, and Taylor plays with my friend Connor from Bright Eyes from time to time. So we, the mutual friendship thing runs pretty thick, I think, between the Bright Eyes camp and, of course, Brad with Azure Ray camp and all that. But really, it's just kind of, you know, admiration from afar, really. I just like them both as songwriters and as musicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was excited to when I saw that they were coming. It was it was a good closeout. Yeah. We had uh, I bet. I th- it was you and then them. Those were the last two shows. It was a good way to close out. Man, I'm glad I got to stop in there. I was really glad to see that that came out because the more I researched Sunstroke, the more I realized like that looks like a special place to stop. And the more the closer the date got, the more I truly looked forward to coming in. Yes. Yeah, it's been transformative. <laughs> it has been because I, I, yeah. I was I was so ignorant to house shows. I didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because it's not the kind of thing that is always readily evident to you. You know, that's part of the point almost is that there's not you don't see articles and papers or hear ads on the radio about these shows. You kind of have to know about them. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I think that's what makes them even more special. You know, each one's kind of its own snowflake, and it's strange way and part of the thing that makes it so exciting is that it is one of those things you really have to like try to find out about because they're not advertised you know to right. kind of protect the to protect the privacy of the folks hosting them absolutely it was super cool hanging in town though i, I only had water valley the next day and it happened to be like a really beautiful saturday morning so i went on back into town and took a walk and got a coffee and man that place that coffee place that serves the sweet potato muffins and those sweet potato muffins are unbelievable they're just debilitatingly good and then i went over to tennessee williams house of course and wound up speaking with the lady there that runs the place and it wound up being a really i don't know just a great visit to columbus yeah well that's that's great man a lot of times columbus has its reputation and uh it's good to hear people from out of town come in and have a good experience. Cause I, Man, I had a great experience there. I loved it. I can't wait to get back one day. Yeah, I live. Uh, I live right out, right outside of Columbus. I dri- I work in Columbus, and so I drive in every day. And it's it's so it's funny to me like to hear people from my hometown talk about Columbus. They, you know, they just yeah they hate going yeah. to it. They don't they don't like being in Columbus. And I was like, I love it. I think it's yeah, I, think I think it's, it's a cool boring. place. Yeah. It's super gorgeous, man, and, you know, access to other cities is pretty easy, like, it's kind of in the middle of everything. Yeah. I don't know, I found it really appealing. It reminded me of some of my favorite towns that I've popped into over the years throughout the U.S. It reminded me a little bit of a town I used to live in, not so far from Austin, called Bastrop, about 40 minutes southeast, so it had a little bit of that downtown kind of charm to it that I was really taken with. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's kind of a small downtown. It don't take a it don't take a whole lot of time to get the feel for it. No, but it was a great walk, man. It was a really good Saturday morning. I was yeah. grateful for it. Yeah, and just where we at in Columbus? I mean, we are all up in you know the blues and. Yeah, of course, of course, and I had not spent a ton of time in that side of the state. Honestly, like I've always been in you know Oxford or Water Valley or Jackson and more west side, Clarksdale, kind of over there, and 
I think the first time I really went out there and kind of chased ghosts, so to speak, just mm-hmm. to go do like the informal blues tour was maybe 20 years ago. Uh, but it never carried me over to Columbus, so it was it was nice to finally be over on the eastern side of the state and do some exploring over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. You know, there's a there's a documentary. It's called "You See Me Laughing." Yeah, it's, it's about, I know that. Yeah, yeah I've seen that. I have that around here somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's about um, records, Fat Possum. Yeah. And finding these yeah. old blue cats just all over Mississippi. And I was like, I did not know all this. You know, I didn't. <laughs> Once again, I was blown away by just like, well, the blues is right here. It makes sense that these guys were here. <laughs> you're, sur- you're surrounded by, you know, as much good history as anyone just as far as music and literature goes. I mean, and I was telling my friend uh, Anthony about that, I guess, when we were riding home from the Water Water Valley show, but it's not an accident, you know? Like, that's not just a fluke. I mean, there's a reason, there's a reason it all came out of there, and it's a mix of cultures and backgrounds and experience, and the magic of the storytelling is unlike any other, you know? And so... It's something to really be proud of, and it's something to soak up every time you step out the door there. It's really an amazing thing. Yeah, especially uh, just writing and playing what little bit I get to do. and Yeah. So, just like you said, just to soak it up. It's an inspiring place to be. It definitely, like, it's, it's not an accident that when I come home from Mississippi or a tour through or anything like that, like, certain gears start turning again, you know, certain riding gears, and it may not be songs, it may be stories, maybe maybe paintings, it doesn't matter, but just, it kind of starts the gears grinding again, and it's an inspiring place to be, without a doubt. When you're not playing music, or drawing, or writing, what else do you enjoy? Oh, goodness, there's not much, there's not much time for anything else. I mean, yeah, was, you know, sounds like you're pretty helping, wrapped helping up. Helping out with family stuff, either doing laundry or driving the kids around or getting groceries or whatever. But I don't know. I I do a lot of running for sure. I'm kind of I'm kind of a running nerd. So I, if I get time, I'll go out and walk some miles. And that's kind of my therapy session, I guess, so to speak. Everybody's got their different ways and their different methods and forms of uh, forms of therapy but I think running is mine and it has been since I was a kid so whenever a window opens up I'm usually I'm usually doing that I got you all right man we can go ahead and wrap it up absolutely man well this has been really nice talking to you thank you very much for including me and thanks for making the time yeah well I had um I don't know if you can or uh, if you're interested or if the label would let you but I would love to share one of your songs on the show if that's possible oh yeah by, by all means, it's totally fine. All right, man. Well, Will, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Man, no problem. It's good talking with you, Alan. Thank you very much for taking the time as well. And uh, hopefully I'll see you next visit out there. Yeah, man. Can't wait to see you again. Awesome, man. You take care. All right, man. All right, brother. All right, bye-bye. Bye. News and notes. Far as news goes, next couple episodes, probably next three, Untapped in Vinyl. It's going to be good. We had a lot of great topics. A little bit of uh, Sky. A little bit of uh, Savior of Rock and Roll. Is this a real thing? Is it something that needed saving in the first place? Was it there at all? Or is it coming back? We're going to talk about it. Alright, we'll continue to encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And thank you, Will, for making the time to 
have the phone interview here on Porch Talk. Bob Andrews from Undertow Records. Thank you so much for sending the music file over. Guys, as far as notes go, this is Predator by Will Johnson. They come off of Terrace Nights, a good luck charm. Find him and other Undertow artists on Spotify or Pandora. Look them up. Check them out. Buy an album. Buy a painting. Support them. Getting out of here. Peace out. Here's Predators. Goodbye. Time is wasting time. Okay.
like a predator that knew I wanted to be found For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.